What's better than this? Guys, me and dudes here on the Draft Dudes podcast, presented by Locked On. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this live episode of the show, joined by our special guest, Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Senior Bowl. Before we get to Jim, Kyle, what's up, dude? I think this is the first time you've ever done the live intro in front of a guest, so I'm really glad that Jim got to check that box and be the first one to hear the grumbly guys being dudes. I'm glad I got it out. You know, I tried to pretend he wasn't there. It just, you know, just, just you and I yeah, get the rumble out, you know, practice mm-hmm. all day. So we're, we're you did good. You did good. Jim, we're glad to have you, man. Thanks for tuning in and, and congratulations on another uh, successful campaign this year. And uh, probably the most important senior bowl in the history of important senior bowls when you consider everything else that's going on these days. Yeah, guys, good to be on with you. We uh, obviously missed you here in Mobile a couple weeks ago, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a rewarding year. It always is, but uh, you know, to get the game behind us now and have pulled it off safely, um, had all the you know all the NFL guys here and the the players here. Um, obviously, the week looked a little different. We had to change a lot of things up, but to get everyone here and, and get them out safely and administer whatever that was thirty six hundred plus tests and have only have one positive for the week. Uh, it was just, you know, really proud of our staff, how it all came together and just happy we could, you know, make this thing happen for for not just, uh, you know, our buddies in the NFL, but uh, for these players. You know, it's such a hard year for all anyone involved with football is a really difficult year. Um, just the yo-yoing nature of the seasons and what they had to do to pull it off. So I'm just glad we could uh, make our week happen here in Mobile. Well, in order for it to happen, obviously, there's a lot of work that goes into the scouting process to get the right mix of players there. And so. How challenging was it this year with the dynamics of uh, the pandemic and, and getting to universities and getting live eyes on guys? How much was your process affected uh, just getting the right mix of guys there? Yeah, it was, it was affected quite a bit because we weren't, uh, you know, we weren't at nearly as many games. I want to say um, the 2020 game, um, we had 118 players on the roster. I think we saw 114 of them live. So, uh, yeah, that, that was very different this year, not having, uh, not having live game exposure. So like with anything, you just can work with what you have to work with. And it was, uh, mostly tape based evaluations. We did get out to, we got out to a number of games down here in the Southeast, but not as much around the country. And, uh, so yeah, it did, it did affect it, but, uh, really happy with the group we got, you know, we, we hit the recruiting hard. Um, you know, social media helps a ton. Our social media numbers have have really grown exponentially every year. Um, so really happy with the group of guys we had down here for the game. Jim, you mentioned the recruiting piece of this w- was pretty easy this year when you take into consideration you know, some guys didn't play at all, guys had abbreviated seasons. Uh, how much of that recruiting process was a sell on building on what they already had on tape versus this being perhaps the only opportunity that you're going to have to get in front of all 32 teams simultaneously have a couple days to have some pretty thorough conversations uh, because at the time, you know, of you going through and getting these commitments, we really didn't know what the NFL combine was going to look like. So questions about the rest of the process. So how did, how did you approach those conversations to get guys on board? Um, you know, the hard part this year was with the opt-out guys. Um, you know, where there was a couple guys like Walker Little from Stanford, Rayshon Slater from uh, Northwestern, 
guys that just, I think they were concerned about the rust factor and that makes sense, right? They hadn't put pads on. So again, at orientation, uh, when, when I introduced Matt rule and Brian Flores to the, to the players, um, before I introduced those guys, I asked them, I said, you know, everyone, raise your hand if you didn't play football this fall. And, uh, man, it was, a, it was a, it's a lot of guys with their hands shooting up, um, and more power to those guys. They weren't afraid. They didn't, you know, they didn't back down. Um, you know, and again, now once we got through the week, the really interesting thing was a number of those guys that didn't play this ball were ones voted um, by their peers as, as players of the week for practice. So, um, which was really cool to see. But no, we, you know, a little bit of that, you know, a little bit of, hey, we don't know what the rest of the process is going to look like. I think towards when, when we got to January, we had a really good idea that there wasn't going to be a combine, um, at least in its normal format with workouts. It's just going to be a medical based uh, event this year. So we, we kind of knew that. Uh, we kind of laid that out to some of the agents, but uh, you know, we actually had more guys decline this year than the year before. Um, last year we had three, this year we had four seniors um, decline the invite. And the nice thing was without um, as many teams playing, we had less attrition in terms of guys that accepted and then couldn't play in the game because of like late season injuries, um, you know, bowl game injuries, things of that nature. So we didn't lose quite as many once we had them signed up. Jim, I want to ask you a question that might be a little self-serving, but oh, maybe yeah. there's other people that are curious as, as well. As we evaluate this draft class and try to formalize opinions and assessments on these players, what advice do you have for people that, you know, we, we don't have the same exposures, we don't have the same data pool that we normally do. You know, we watch players over the summer, so we know where they're at entering the, the, their final year in college. But this year is really different where we put on that lens for summer scouting and you put on a different lens for your final evaluation. But, you know, in between those two things, I didn't have a year of film to study. So, you know, is it a situation where you, you just have no other choice but to leave guys how you found them? You know, how, how do you think we should be treating those evaluations? And what do you, you know, from the NFL perspective, how do you think that's impacted things? That's uh, a really, it's a really good question. I think that's what a lot of guys in the league are struggling with right now. How much emphasis do we put on, a four game Pac-12 season, yeah. you know, like th those guys were never really able to get in the flow. Um, you look at, you look at the ACC, like we sent, we sent a scout to Florida state. Um, I think three times this fall only to have the game canceled on Saturday morning. Um, like it was just, it was just such a weird year. So you really do have to default a little bit to a more normal year. I think the teams are going to put a little more emphasis on 2019. And then in some cases go back to 18. Um, you know, I do think conferences like the Pac-12, those guys were, were really adversely affected by it. So, uh, again, there's not like a right answer to it. But, again, it's like how much weight do you put on a season where it was so chopped up? And, um, you know, even if you, do, even if you did play a game, you look at Ohio State down the stretch. Like how do you evaluate Justin Fields, for instance? And he obviously wasn't for the Senior Bowl this year. He wasn't eligible. Like how do you evaluate those late season games when there were so many backups on the field and he's playing with new people around him? Um, it's a very nuanced evaluation this year. And I think every, you know, all 32 teams are probably going to go into it a little bit, a little bit differently. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Yeah. The football season might be over, but the NBA college basketball and NHL seasons are in full swing and BetOnline.ag even covers awards, TV shows and reality TV. They have real-time updated odds and props on almost anything that you can imagine. BetOnline also has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. 
head on over to the website betonline.ag and use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Again, betonline.ag for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with our promo code Locked On. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Joe, I'm glad you took this conversation the way that it did because, Jim, we, we've had conversations about how we feel or how we, we would predict or anticipate certain teams may or may not handle the entirety of the process this year and, and their assets in the draft. And I'm curious from your perspective, you know, you, you've been in a building, you've had some of these conversations, you attached to several organizations throughout the league. Do you get any sense that there might be teams that are more interested in just kind of deferring these premier picks, you know, get trading out of the first round more so than they would be normally because they, they want to make those investments when it is a more standard year of evaluation leading in. Do you get a sense we'll get like guys who are well, or teams that are willing to buy and teams that are, are more so looking to sell just because of the dynamics of everything at play here? Yeah, I, I do think that's going to happen. It'll be really interesting to see how April plays out. Um, I think you're going to have some GMs that are more risk taker, takers by nature um, and might be, you know, take advantage of some teams that, that w- try to play it more safe. You might see a lot of trades, um, especially in those first couple of days of the draft. Teams really maneuvering around, trying to get the guys that they feel good about. Um, and, that, and that was part of the sell to, to the, to the uh, players this year was, this is the only opportunity here in Mobile was the only opportunity you're going to get to be not only exposed to, you know, guys in the NFL, but the decision makers, right? Like there were scouts out at games this fall, um, but there weren't any decision makers. There's only one GM I, I spoke to around the league that was going to games on Saturday um, because you can't do that and then re-enter your team's bubble on Sunday. This particular GM would go to college games on Saturday and then have to quarantine until Tuesday before he could even get back in his team's building. So like my pitch to them was like, yeah, scouts saw you all fall, but the guys that are making the picks in April haven't seen you yet. So this is the one chance you have to get in front of those guys for a, for a week long exposure and the face to face interviews. I think we're all used to doing this Zoom thing. Um, but to me personally, I, I just feel better sitting across from somebody. So um, so that was the that was, you know, the selling point for the game. But I do think there's going to be those teams. And let's just focus on the guys we feel good about and the information, whether that's you know, but we need, maybe we have a really good relationship at a, a handful of schools, um, you know, and we're just going to lean on those and, and pick guys from the pool that we really feel good about. Um, and that I think that's going to that's what's going to spark a lot of the trades. Jim, as we kind of laser in on what actually happened at Senior Bowl week, we know that so much of the emphasis is placed on the practices and the games and, and how players perform you know, in those opportunities, but so much of the week is bigger than that, right? It's, it's how they're inter- interacting with coaches and teammates in the, in the meeting room, all those types of things. When I ask you, which players really impressed you from, you know, what we couldn't see, who are some of the names that stand out and why? Um, gosh, right off the top of my head, I'd say Landon Dickerson um, from Alabama, the center. I mean, the, the guy's a total stud, you know, he, he, he tore that ACL in the semifinal game. And again, we brought some injured players this year that we, we normally wouldn't do that with, guys. It's just because of a different year. In a normal year, if they're an injured player, they can go to the combine and connect with these teams and, and sit face-to-face and meet the teams. They can go to pro day and have a pro day workout, meet with teams at pro day. But because this year being different, you know, we did. We wanted to do the right thing by the players. You know, Landon jumped on his invite. He was one of the first guys that accepted in early November. Um, he was excited about being down here. So we brought him down. 
and uh, he knocked it out of the park. I, I told him before he came, I said, Landon, just come and be you. Be the guy that everyone in Tuscaloosa talks about, and you'll be fine. And he came down here. We were watching the tape today of some of the O-line, D-line stuff, and he's off on the side, even in team periods. Like, he's grabbing guys like David Moore from Grambling, who'd never played center before this week, and he's giving him pointers between reps. He was, he was essentially like a third offensive line coach um, with the Panthers staff this week. So he was one. Um, Landon was great. There's, there's too many. There's, there's really too many to name. Um, this, this year's group of guys was, it, they, they were phenomenal. And, and I've only been here three years, but uh, every year has been great. But this year's class, because of what they went through, you never had to tell them to put a mask on. You never had to tell them to watch their distance. Like they were so into COVID mode that they were so compliant and diligent and disciplined with it. Um, there was really, really a great group of guys. And, uh, you know, connecting with them even after the game, I try to follow up with all the guys and make sure they had a, a positive experience here in Mobile. Um, just a phenomenal group of guys. So I, I kind of singled out Landon, but this group as a whole was was phenomenal. I'd like to to kind of get your gauge on these two coaching staffs that were here. You mentioned Brian Flores and Matt Rule. And you know, every every year when we come down and and we've been coming down for I guess what, Joe, six, seven years consecutively before we unfortunately missed this year. But every coach kind of had like their own style of practice. But it felt like this year, both of these teams brought a certain energy level and urgency to the practices as far as getting as many competitive reps as possible. I'm curious if you had that same observation. And if you talk to members of either coaching staff, is that being a big point of emphasis considering everything else going on? Yeah, I'll say this about both staffs. I mean, they, they were they couldn't have been better to work with. Um, you know, Coach Flores and I are, are good friends um, from our time in New England together. Chris Greer's a good friend. We got into scouting around the same time. And then on the on the Panthers side, I've known Matt Rule since he was a GA at UCLA 20 years ago um, and followed his career. Don't know him quite as well. Um, but Scott Fitter just got named their GM in Carolina, who's a really good friend from our time in Seattle. Um, and Pat Stewart, another member of the uh, Carolina front office that uh, goes back to my Patriot days as well. So it was like being around friends for the week, which made the communication really easy all the way leading up to the game. When they got named, you know, two weeks, three weeks prior, um, really easy, open communication on what we want to practice to look like, where we'd like to see guys, you know, get some different reps, you know, in terms of position flexibility. So it was really, really good lines of communication. I think I think what you saw in the practice field and the spirited practices was two coaching staffs that really wanted to be here. Um, you know, the, Matt Rule had had uh, Pat Stewart reach out in October and ask how they got to be a part of the game. And I'm like, well, Pat, tell them that we have no control over that. That's the league <laughs> office, man. But, uh, but it, it, you know, Brian and I have talked for a couple of years about, you know, coming down here and coaching the game and what they would get out of it. So they were really motivated to be here. They knew that this is in a unique year. They had a, a really different lens to kind of see these players through and they took full advantage of it. So um, yeah, they were, they were, they were both great to work with. And I think they got a lot out of these players. You mentioned David Grambling or excuse me, David Moore from Grambling got a chance to play center for the first time. And one of my favorite things about the senior bowl is seeing guys in different spots that we didn't watch them play in college. And so when you think about this year's group, are there any other examples of guys that took on a role that, they've never really done before, but showed that they are more versatile than maybe what they were given the chance to show at, you know, during their college years. Yeah. I mean, three centers right off the bat. So David Moore from Grambling, Quinn Miners from Wisconsin Whitewater, 
And uh, Robert Hainsey from Notre Dame had never snapped in a game, in a live game either. And all three of them looked really natural at it. Um, you know, Quinn and David were both named practice players of the week on their offensive lines. Hainsey to me, now that we've gone through the tape, Hainsey is one of the biggest winners of the week. He was really, really good all week at guard and at center. Um, and then you look at a guy like Demetric Felton uh, from UCLA, who had repped some at wide receiver there. He's kind of the opposite of – he's kind of this year's Antonio Gibson. You know, the, the sell to Antonio last year was like, man, I think, I think you can make it in the league as a wide receiver, you know, as, as more of a fourth or fifth receiver. But I really think you got a chance to be a starting running back. So, you know, come down here, do that all week. Let these teams see, you know, kind of what you look like once you get into the flow. Let them see your vision. Let them see your patience and your natural run instincts. And then it was the same way with Dimitri this year. You know, he, he played mostly running back. But just watching him do that and leak out of the backfield and do some stuff, you saw the twitch, you saw the route running potential. And uh, he came down and he was named practice player of the week for their team. And they had Tylen Wallace and Nico Collins. I mean, I think that speaks volume, volumes about all these guys that are willing to try something different. Um, you know, so Dimitri going forward out of this week, I mean, he's just going to be an offensive weapon. Don't even label him. You know, whoever drafts him is going to be able to line him up anywhere now. And it's just like it's those guys' attitudes and embracing something they've never done. And again, not afraid to fail, not afraid to put themselves out on the line. Teams appreciate that. You know, they, they really do. So um, like Richie Grant playing corner during during the week, you know, Richie's was he was my highest graded senior safety in this year's class. I've it's been one of one of my favorite players going back to last spring. And then for him to come down here and rep at corner and not even say a word about it and just, you know, embrace it and do a really good job. Um, I mean, it speaks volumes to who these guys are as competitors. I wanted to to ask you, Jim, about a player in particular who did a lot of the things that we saw throughout the course of the week uh, this past week throughout the course of his career at Ohio State, uh, but really looked dominant for much of the week in doing so in Ohio State linebacker Baron Browning. Um, I, I'm curious what what your opinion is of Baron, his skill set, why he was able to compartmentalize each one of the facets of his game whether it was pass coverage or blitzing or run defense in the nine on sevens oh how was this week able to showcase the best version of baron to the degree in which it did and in which is probably really going to help his draft stock when you take into account how good of an athlete he is as well yeah he's uh baron had a phenomenal week um you know we really liked the athlete when we watched him over the summer but you're kind of like what is he what is he going to do um and there was, you know, talking to the Ohio State staff over the summer, there was a lot of talk about him just being a designated rusher this year. And that was going to kind of be his primary role. And then once we got into the flow of the season and you saw him really playing a traditional linebacker role and doing all the different things, he got better every single week this college season. He's a guy that if you watch early to late 2020 tape, I mean, there's a clear difference in terms of the game, really slowing down, him seeing things quicker, um, I mean, it was it was obvious. So to get him down here and let him do all those things because he is such a versatile athlete, it really just showcased what he can be. I think that Barron's one of those guys that – and there's a number of guys in the game this year that they're just scratching the surface on what they can become. And uh, and that's why he's such an, in, you know, an intriguing prospect because just even over the course of the week here, like every time we put on tape for this guy, he gets better every time he goes out. So um, – yeah, it was just cool to see the staff, you know, that, that Dolphin staff use him in all those different roles. Yeah, Jeremy Chin and Kyle Duggar, they they captured a lot of buzz coming out of Senior Bowl week last year and, you know, really exciting physical packages in terms of size and athleticism and really exciting to think about what they can do, you know, as kind of a positionless 
sub package defender and the guy going into this year that I thought had a chance of kind of do, doing those types of things and gaining that momentum was Hamza Nasser Dean out of Florida state who you know, he had a, a knee injury at the end of 2019 that took him a while to get back from. And he only played in a couple of games. How do you think his week went? And do you think he can have that same type of valuation where the NFL is going to look at them as maybe a second round pick that can, can do those types of things? Yeah. Yeah. Hamza had a great week. I said Hamza all fall too. And then he got here and I is called it? him Hamza and it's Hamza. Okay. Um, Noted. We, and then we had Hamilcar Rashad from, uh, from Oregon state. So we had two hams in the game. It made it easy for me. They've just called them both ham. Uh, but he did, he had a, that's a really good comparison to like chin and Duggar, you know, in terms of the size profile and the athleticism, really easy moving guys. So all the coverage stuff, all the one-on-one -on -one stuff um, was, was perfectly suited for him to show what he can do against tight ends and backs. And then you watch him and they were like, we want, we rewatched the game today and just like him fitting downhill and playing aggressive downhill against the run. Yeah. I mean, you can, call him whatever you want. He can be a, you know, a money linebacker. He can be a, he can be a strong safety. Um, you could really move this guy around and he's, he's probably the one guy from this week, um, this year that, that really matches up with the two guys you talked about, Chin and Duggar. Jim, I'm curious that that positionless defender has been used as a compliment, but it's also been used as a criticism in some cases. And, and you think about Isaiah Simmons and, him getting drafted as early as he did in Arizona, kind of struggling to get their footing with finding where they wanted to play him. Um, how much of that conversation is had with somebody like Nasser Ladine in the buildup to the senior bowl about, you know, you, you're going to be able to sell yourself in X role or Y role thinking about like what Hassan Reddick did a couple years back to ironically, another guy who ended up in Arizona. Uh, is that part of the discussion with these players is, the NFL draft evaluation process and how different teams are going to, are going to value it. Because obviously, you know, the, the NFL draft media is a growing space and there's a lot of people with a lot of different opinions. And uh, ultimately the opinions that matter are the ones in the buildings of the teams that are making the picks. So I'm just curious if, if that discussion is had with some of these prospects like a Nasser Ladine. Yeah, I think the positionless defender thing is is a really interesting concept, and I, I would never take that as a negative thing. To me, there's there's tweeners that don't fit. They're kind of tweeners that are non-position fits, and then there's tweeners that can bring a lot to the table. Um, I think the biggest thing when you draft any of these guys, whether it's Simmons or Duggar or Chin, is communicating between the scouting staff and the coaching staff, having a shared vision for the player, right? Like, you should you should be able to get Simmons on the field quickly. You know, if everyone's on the same page on what he is, um, Carolina is a great example. I mean, Jeremy Chin, I remember talking to a guy on their staff um, early in the season. He's like, Jim, he's our best DB and our best linebacker right now. <laughs> but they, you know, they, I mean, it was like four games into the year, but they had a clear plan for him. They got Jeremy on the field. They I think that I think what teams have to be careful with is what what do you put on his plate right away? Um, and I think that's what New England was dealing with. Like they love Kyle's skill set. But what can Duggar do now? Like, let's not overfeed him right away. Um, I think Jeremy could just handle it. So I think that's what, when you have players like Hamza, is like, we know what you can do from a tools perspective, but how how quickly can we get that to manifest itself on Sundays? You know, like, let's not, let's not push too much and then have his head spinning and playing slow because he's thinking too much in all these different roles. So I think that's the biggest thing when you draft a player like that is have a vision for him, figure out what that timetable is going to be, and then execute on it. Um, a lot of times what happens in the draft process is 
you know, whether it's the, the scouts talking and, you know, in, in their set of meetings and coaches and just never getting on the same page for the plan for the player. Like they both sides like the player, but what is he going to be like? How are we going to use him? Um, and I've been a part of teams where we just, you know, we really fumbled when it, when it came to those things. So um, I think Hams is in a great spot. He showed everything he can do here. And, uh, you know, a smart team will draft him and, and put him in those situations where he can do what he can do. RockAuto.com is a family business that's been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They've got everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The RockAuto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand, specifications, and prices that you prefer Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why would you spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Make sure you write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. They have amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need over at rockauto.com. Somehow we've went like almost 25 minutes and no quarterback talk has come up. So I'll, I'll change that here. I, I'm really anxious to hear you talk about Mac Jones, the Alabama quarterback, and uh, find out what you learned about him throughout the course of the week and, you know, what type of ceiling you think he has. Yeah, I mean, I'll start just by talking about Mac, the person. He is, uh, man, he, he's a great dude. He's got whatever that, you know, it factor is. Like, he's got it. Um, and that's why he's so – thought of so highly up in Tuscaloosa. I mean, he connects with people. That's really clear from the minute you meet him. Um, you know, just just has that connectivity, getting him down here with his teammates and around the guys on the other teams. Uh, he's just got a really easy way about him. And then, you know, from a football perspective, you know, that, that was part of the discussion with, with Mac is you've probably got three juniors right now that, like you just said, there's a lot of people in the space right now. And a lot of most people in the space have, you know, Trey Lance and and uh, Wilson and Fields ahead of Mac. I said, they can't be here, Mac, you can. Like, you've got a chance to leapfrog one of those dudes or a couple of those dudes. And uh, what really stood out in the field, which you won't see on the tape, is just his ability to take in information and spit it out and handle it. Um, you know, I keep going back to my first year two years ago when the Raiders had Daniel Jones. And, and everyone knows John Gruden's um, – you know, his system and, and however boast it is with uh, all the verbiage and everything. And Daniel struggled with that the first day. And I think that, uh, you know, Gruden was really on him, was really pushing his buttons to see how he'd respond. Um, and he got better every day. And we saw it, you know, obviously he ends up being the sixth pick because he, he got better every day and, and played great in the game. But Mac, like Mac handling that stuff and then going to the line and executing, you could just see how quickly he got the ball out of his hands all week. And it really wasn't a buildup. It was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, the guy's got a really quick brain and that's uh, processing speed um, is what the league's looking for. Is he the prototype dual threat guy that, you know, everyone's kind of looking for these last few years? No. Um, but when you process like Mac does and you get the ball out as fast as he does, um, that's where he kind of stood out from this group. He got the ball out faster than any, anybody all three days. Um, then he got banged, you know, he rolled his ankle on Thursday's practice so he couldn't play in the game. But just the process and quickness and the accuracy both were uh, exactly what if, if you're a big believer in Mac Jones, which I am like those two things are really hard to develop is uh, that really tight window accuracy and then the process and quickness. 
Well, now we've gone almost 30 minutes and we haven't talked about two of the potential first round prospects that were in attendance, Devante Smith and Najee Harris. And you had mentioned them with, with Mac. So uh, I'm curious, Jim, because a lot of their impact this week was the stuff that was behind closed doors. And Joe talked about the interactions with people in the hallways and the coaching staffs and Najee did some individual drills, but that was about it. So just kind of curious from your perspective, uh, how they made the most of their week here with kind of an a la carte sampling of things on their plate versus the guys who probably had a little bit more to prove in competing throughout the course of three days of practice in the game. Yeah. I mean, we, we put both those guys with the dolphin staff. We never, I, I never like to split college teammates up on different squads. Uh, but guys, this is a draft event. Now this is a, this is a big piece of the draft process. Why would we put, Najee Harris with the Carolina Panthers staff when they already have Christian McCaffrey, right? So um, it was good getting both those guys with the Dolphin staff. And I think, uh, you know, what people have to understand with Najee, that was a legit ankle injury that he had. Um, his agent sent me a picture of his ankle after the national championship game, and it was the size of a grapefruit. Like, I did not think he would get down here and be able to do anything. So, uh, but he was, man, he did not want to hear anything about not getting on the field. He you know, he, he wanted to do it. He got out there, you know, for two days and really put himself through what he could, what he could go through. And frankly, the Dolphin staff had to pull him back a little bit. Like he wanted to do more and they, they held him back, but um, it was great that both those guys could connect with coach Flores. Um, obviously they have two down there. So, so they've got a great resource on, in terms of background information on both those players, but you know, just, just Devante being connected with the wideout crew all week and being in meetings and interviewing, um, it's just invaluable. And like I said, in, in a normal year, we might not have brought those guys. We probably wouldn't have brought those guys if they can't get through the whole week healthy. Um, but this just being the weird year that it, it was, um, those guys are phenomenal players and they're great people. And we just wanted to make sure they got connected and, and uh, took full advantage of, of the one exposure they might have to the teams. One of my favorite players to watch this year was Kadarius Tony from Florida. And we saw some some glimpses earlier in his career of what he can do, but injuries became an issue. But it felt like this year he put it all together, not, not just the yards after catch, but some vertical receiving ability and obviously the punt return stuff. What was it like watching him in person? Because, the, you know, he seems like he's got those types of movement skills that are really exciting to see with your own eyes. Yeah, I, 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 this has been like a six-year evaluation of Kadarius because he played <laughs> uh, here at Blunt High School in Mobile. So I've, I've gone way back with – Kadarius back to his days as a quarterback here in Mobile. And I'll tell you, he can, he can chuck it now. Like I was hoping they would put in some sort of, uh, you know, reverse pass because the guy can throw it about 70 yards. Wow. Um, but no, he, 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 you know, that was a loaded wideout group at Florida. We'd look at last year's game where, you know, we had Tyree Cleveland and Van Jefferson and, you know, Swain didn't come to the game, but, you know, Swain did really good things for the Seahawks this year as a rookie. And then you got Grimes this year in, in Kadarius. So a, a loaded room. But I go back, you know, four years ago when I was still at the Seahawks and you go out to practice in, in Gainesville, he's by far the most dynamic guy in that football field. So he's always had the talent. Like you said, he, he just had some hard luck injury stuff. But, uh, you know, the football character is off the charts in terms of and you can see it in the tape, like competitiveness, toughness. Yeah. Um, he's a really a unique player that the route running ability, like some people have questioned route running. Um, you know, we I, I worked with one coach once that. Uh, thought that a receiver had put too much sauce on his routes. I don't think you can teach the sauce and like, you got to let those guys do their thing. And like, you can teach routes, but like, you can't teach some of the stuff Kadarius has. And uh, to me, you just let him do his thing. He's going to get open. 
And then what he did after the catch, I mean, he's a 195-pound guy that runs like he's 215 with the ball in his hands. And, uh, you know, it was great to have him down here. Love having Mobile guys back down um, in the game. But, yeah, he's he's one of the most electric players in college football this year. And, and he'll get on the field for somebody next year. And he's going to transition really quickly because you can't cover him and what he can do with the ball in his hands. That's what everyone in the league's looking for. They want the next Debo Samuel, um, the next Brandon Ayuk, you know, a couple guys we've had here in the game. And, and Kadarius is kind of the next in line. I have one more. And then, Joe, if you have any, I'll let you follow up. But, Jim, I wanted to ask you specifically about the defensive line group between both teams this year. Uh, some really, really toolsy players, whether it's uh, Cam Sample from Tulane or Aid Ogundiji from Notre Dame or Janarius Robinson from Florida State. So just kind of curious from your perspective, with so many guys that were like really toolsy, physical, prototype, build-esque, uh, and, and some with some inside-outside capabilities as well, uh, who you thought did themselves the most uh, to help themselves throughout the course of the event this year? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, the goal is just to bring the best players. I think over the last couple of years, I, I've tried to bring some um, guys that fit certain positions. Like we wanted to bring in some noses and, you know, some bigger bodies. But the fact of the matter is, like, those guys aren't getting drafted much anymore. You really got to be spectacular as a two down run player to get drafted. So we went more to guys that had third down value. So that's why you saw a lot of those body types. That's why you saw guys like Cam Sample and um, Peyton Turner from Houston and um, Wyatt Hubert from Kansas State. A lot of those guys had to move inside and take some reps during the week at three technique. Um, but they, they really all stood out. I'd say that one guy um, that I haven't seen a lot about that when I went through the tape, I couldn't believe how good he was throughout the week was Chauncey Golston from Iowa. Um, talk about tools is he's got like 83, 84 inch wingspan, really long, powerful. I think he only came in here at like 200 and just under 270, um, plays with a lot more power than that. Um, I think he's a guy right now that's probably hotter in the league than, than, uh, you know, you know, draft Twitter or whatever you want to call it. Um, uh, but Chauncey had a phenomenal week, but there's a bunch of those guys. Janarius Robinson had a great game, really kind of put it together in the game. He brought up Cam Sample. Um, he was phenomenal, but, uh, there were some guys all week, you know, Boogie Basham had a really good week lining up over guards and rushing inside. So, um, yeah, a lot of those guys really showed out all week. So this is, if I'm not mistaken, your third game that you've, uh, been the, the executive director for at the senior bowl. So I'm curious as you look over, I, I know it's been longer than about three and a half years or so you've, you've been on this job. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned? And, you know, as you think about advancing this event, forward in future years what are some of the things that are going to be uh you know critical and paramount for you um i'd say when it comes to the players one of the things i've learned is with the, when it comes to the small school guys is, is really figuring out how they're wired um you know we, we never draft we never invite a player that we don't think is a draftable player um things happen between our game and the in the draft that obviously bounce some guys out whether it, you know it's something character related we didn't know about um, you know, that was the nice thing this year with the zoom calls. We were on a bunch of those zoom calls. Schools were really gracious with our staff. Uh, but that stuff, medical stuff, slow 40 times at Indy. Um, you can't account for that stuff, but, um, with the small school guys, I saw it the first year, there was a couple of the small school guys that, um, the stage was a little big for them, you know, and, and they had the talent, but maybe not the self-confidence to come down here and compete. So the last couple of years, we, I've really tried to do our due diligence, you know, with the coaching staffs. And then talking to guys around the league, how do they talk about this guy at the school? Is he going to be wide-eyed? Is he going to, you know, is this going to rattle him? Or, 
is he going to come down here ready to compete? And that's why a guy like Ben Barch last year from St. John's, the D3 guy, Quinn Miners this year, um, those guys came down and they're ready to go. Um, so that was, that was a, a learning experience the first year. And then, you know, where we want to take this game the next couple of years, I mean, grow sponsorships for one um, and really make this more of a fan-friendly event. I think uh, doing a lot of research, you know, calling out a lot of fan blog sites and whatnot, trying to, you know, dig into why aren't we getting more fans down here? And I think what came out of it was people think that the Senior Bowl is a media event and it's an NFL event and that's it. And uh, you guys have been down here. I mean, it's a phenomenal fan experience in terms of, I mean, player access, you can, you know, the practices, um, you know, just being around the NFL, being around 900 NFL guys in town for the week, being around you guys, uh, being able to hit the different bars and, you know, you guys have a podcast set up and stuff like it's really a cool week. So just, you know, trying to further that message about what Senior Bowl week is for fans and then uh, and then get more sponsors involved so we can, you know, continue to grow this thing out with, you know, more concerts and different events. Well, if I may, if I may, one, one the first year that Kyle and I went to the Senior Bowl together, we didn't stay for the game. The next year we did, and I would never go again without staying for the game. It was it, it's it's such a great way to end the week, and and just as as Jim delivers that message, I, I'd like to echo like if you're going to go to Mobile like for the Senior Bowl practice, you got to stay for the game because it, it's um it's really fun. It's a really fun way to put a put a ribbon on the week and. I, I feel like some of my, my favorite memories from the senior bowls that I've been to have been the actual game day. And, and I appreciate you saying that Joe, wait till you see the new stadium. I can't wait. I'm it so mad. A, I couldn't get down there this year. Absolute game changer, man. Yeah. It is uh, it is such a great Hancock Whitney stadium is such a great facility. Um, you guys saw it on TV. It looked great on TV. It's yeah. great live. The amenities are incredible. Um, we had 16 NFL teams and suites for the week. Like they do in Indy for the combine. Um, so just to, you know, we, we really appreciate our history at Lad Stadium and it served our event well for over 70 years, but this new facility is uh, state of the art. It's, it's a, it's a true game changer. And, and Jim, I'll echo your sentiments as well. You know, the, the NFL combine, the league's trying to do their best to turn that into a fan event. But for my money, if you were a fan and you wanted to go to one piece of the draft process, I'd pick the senior bowl 10 times out of 10, just because there's so much more connectivity with the players. Like you mentioned, uh, yeah, you can go to Indy and freeze your butt off in February and, and early <laughs> March. And you might sit next to somebody who's somebody at the bar at the, uh, the JW, but you know, you come down to, to the senior bowl and uh, the 2020 event, you had the great fan expo on Friday and, and you've already put a lot of great pieces in place. And, I see we got a couple comments already. Didn't realize this was a fan event. Somebody's already committed to pulling up next year. So <laughs> we're, we're happy to spread the gospel of, of what the Senior Bowl can offer fans uh, for a great week to kind of extend that football season. Everybody knows you can't get enough football, and, and what you guys have going down is so great down there in Mobile. And, and we want to thank you for carving some time out of your evening on this uh, Tuesday episode of the podcast, Monday live stream, to join us, Jim, and kind of recap this year's event. Uh, always gracious, always great to talk with you. And uh, we hope you're well. And we're looking forward to getting down there again next year. Yeah, guys, really appreciate you guys, uh, you know, obviously covering our event and and uh, helping promote it. That's great getting plugs from guys like you. Um, but again, can't wait. Can't wait to get you down here uh, next year. You're going to you're going to love that. You're going to love the new stadium. And uh, we're going to blow this thing out next year. It's going to be bigger and better than ever. And uh, can't wait to look forward to seeing all your stuff between now and April. It's going to be fun. So you guys heard it from the, the man himself, Jim Nagy. 
Don't mess around. 2022 Senior Bowl, let's get on the calendar now. We're going to link up. We're going to have a great time. That is going to do it for us tonight. Kyle Krabs, Joe Marino, and Jim Nagy. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. We'll talk with you guys again tomorrow.